to turn to the summary of the word as found in the Heidelberg Catechism. And we are at Lord's Day 32 this week. Question and answer 86. Question. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ." Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved in the Lord, this question, this question of good works, why are we supposed to do them? Do they matter? What are their role in our salvation? These continue to be questions that divide not only the Reformed from Arminians and from Catholics, but they continue to create division among the Reformed themselves. Within the Christian church, we have those who emphasize the importance of holy living to the point where they may undermine Christ as the only ground for our salvation. On the other side are those who emphasize the importance of Christ's work on the cross to the point where they no longer call God's people to live according to the pattern that Christ has given and so they let the members of the church build habits of sin that draw them away from Christ. Both positions are deeply dangerous to the Christian soul. If we're, lack, if we're lax in our obedience to Christ, we divide the work of covering through Christ's sacrifice from the new life that he works in his people. And if we allow sin a place in our lives, that draws us away from Christ. If we make holy living the foundation or part of the foundation of our entrance into heaven, we mix the root and foundation of our salvation with the fruit that comes from salvation. Christ becomes something less than our entire salvation. Popularly, we refer to these as justification. Through Christ on the cross, I am able to have communion with God the Father. And sanctification. The Holy Spirit works in and through me so that I desire to do good works. In order to properly honor and praise God, we must hold to both of these truths. Jesus is a complete Savior, 
That is, we cannot add anything to the salvation that he has given. And yet we are called to do good works. It seems to contradict. I bring you the word of the Lord today under the theme, God has renewed us so that we may practice righteousness. So what brings the salvation through Christ and God's call on us to do good works together? Ultimately, it's our union with Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 6 brings this out beautifully. God has raised us up with him, Jesus Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 5 talks about how we're made alive with Christ. We have such a complete union with Christ that we may call his flesh which sits in heaven at the right hand of God our own flesh. When we receive Christ, Christ is not only our whole salvation, but the whole Christ is our salvation. So Christ is not only our whole salvation, but the whole Christ is is our salvation. So everything he has done was in our place. He has accomplished salvation fully for us. And everything he does, he continues to do at the right hand of God, is for us. On our own, we were dead, no life in our disobedience to God. He makes us alive so that we may share in his righteousness as a covering and also as a people who have been made alive so that we may follow in his footsteps. As the Catechism says, I am not only redeemed by Christ through his blood, but I am renewed by him. Catechism uses the word redeemed. This means to buy someone back. Someone becomes a slave and another steps in and buys him back. So that in a very real sense, we are now slaves of God because he bought us. Paul argues in Romans 6 that that means we are now free to obey God. We don't need to obey our old master sin. We have a new master that is the glory of redemption. This is the glory of the God who has given us salvation. He not only redeems us, but in redeeming us, he gives us our freedom so that we may fully live out the good life that God called us to. God wants us to do good works because that is what we were created for. That is what makes us truly human. That is what makes us, that brings us joy in our communion with God. In order to do that, he gives us the whole Christ so that my holy life is accomplished in and through Christ. And how is that union with Christ accomplished? Through the Holy Spirit. As soon as we believe in Jesus, we're connected to the Holy Spirit that comes from Christ's side. 
And the Holy Spirit binds me to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that works faith in my heart, which, as we read, is a gift of God. And as soon as that union begins, I move toward renewal. Romans 6 verse 7 puts it this way, By the death and resurrection of Christ, I am freed from sin. What does that mean? It means that my will, which was once enslaved, is now free. Again, God not only redeems me, but renews me in the Spirit. This brings a, an, important, an important point comes out here about the redeemed man. Sometimes you will hear it said that Calvinists do not believe in free will. That is not quite true. We believe that man's will, before he believes, is enslaved. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Those who do not believe are not free. They're not able to do righteousness. But in Christ, we do have a free will. We are free once again to do righteousness. Through the enlivening of the Spirit, Christians now have a free will. Even though our sinful natures continue to draw us away from Christ, our will is free through the death and resurrection of Christ so that that by Christ's Spirit, I may dedicate the members of my body my legs, my arms, my mouth, and so on, to the glory of God. You see, the resurrection of Christ is powerful, and his spirit is powerful in my renewal. I am free to do what is good, and more importantly, I have the spirit to renew me in seeking what is good. So what's the purpose? What is the Spirit's work driving toward in this renewal in my heart? It's driving to the point that I become more and more like Christ. So that I begin to look like Jesus. Again, that union with Christ is coming through. God wants the work of Christ to shine in us. Think about the name Christian. What does that mean? It means something along the lines of slave of Christ or servant of Christ. We want to bear the image of our master before the world. The Bible often speaks of us as children of God. Children look like their father. Just as Christ looks like his father, Christ says so often in the, in the Gospels, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. So just as Christ looks like his father, so the world should see Christ in us. God has given us the whole Christ. He has placed us in Christ. What's the appropriate response to that gift. The appropriate response is that we give ourselves back to God. 
The Catechism says it well. With our whole life, we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, that he may be praised by us. And ultimately, this, this work, too, is not of ourselves. We experience it as a struggle to put down that sin, to put on the new man. But the work is ultimately of the Spirit in us. And we see that in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This dynamic is most clearly manifested in the Sunday service. God takes the word and pierces us and divides us. He calling us to put away that old man. And then through our participation in the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're brought together again, united with one another. And most importantly, united with the Lord who saves us. And who's doing the work? We're doing the singing. We're listening to the word. We're partaking of the supper. But ultimately, it's the Spirit in us. Of course, as the Catechism points out, this action is not limited to one day a week, but to our entire lives. Do you seek to dedicate your entire life to Christ? Are there any parts you hold back? It sometimes takes some time even to discover those parts within us that we have not given fully to God. The Spirit wants to renew us so that we are sacrifices of praise before God. To use that picture that Paul puts in our text, we are the workmanship of God. God in Christ through the Spirit is the great craftsman. We often don't think of God in those terms. We often don't think of God as a builder. But if we look through the Old Testament, there's more often that God is spoken of in terms of a builder or an architect. God is the one who is the architect of the temple. And he uses spirit-filled people to accomplish that work. In Zechariah 1, 18 to 21, God sends out four craftsmen, and these four craftsmen are going to terrify the nations. An interesting line. In the context, these four craftsmen are involved in the reestablishment of the temple. Jesus himself God chose that he would be born into a family where he was raised as a carpenter. So Jesus himself is a carpenter who prepares a fitting dwelling, us, the temple of God, for his Holy Spirit. This is yet another picture of how God restores his people. In Adam, our first father, humanity was broken. 
And the Holy Spirit is taking those broken humans, putting them back together again, and fitting them into the holy house of God. God calls us, the holy people he has called out of darkness, the holy people that he has enlivened through his spirit, his workmanship. You can think back again to Deuteronomy 7, a treasured possession. Not because of who we are, but because of what God is doing in us. If anything should give us confidence in pursuing good works, it is this. God has already laid out a path for us. In the spirit in which we may do good works. We recognize that it's not easy due to our sinful natures. Yet at the same time, we can have confidence in overcoming our sin as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we look to him to continue that work of renovation. Christ through the Spirit is doing a work of renovation in your life. What a comfort, brothers and sisters. Christ does not redeem you and let you be. He does not cover you and then leave you in sin. He turns you, he takes you, and molds you into a picture of who he is. And the struggle, the struggle that we experience in this, that's part of the glory of God's grace. What about the suffering that we have in this life? That too is about the beauty of reflecting Christ. The Spirit wants, the Spirit wants to offer us up, offer us up to the Father as a fitting answer to the work of Christ. The proper response of the Christian is to honor and adore Christ for what he is doing. Ultimately, this work is for the glory of God. The Catechism teaches us that there are a couple of other reasons God wants to make a showcase of our works through the Spirit. The first is for our sake. We are encouraged by these things that we really do belong to God. Notice the we here. This is not just the individual on his own trying to figure out if he is producing good works. This is the household of God, encouraging one another in seeking God, praising one another when they see progress, and rebuking one another where we fail. God encourages us to look for good fruit in those who claim to be Christian. It's the teaching all through the Gospels. A pure fountain will produce pure water. A good tree will produce good fruit. And those who love me will obey my commandments. This is how we recognize in each other the face of Christ. 
In some ways, this can be a tough teaching for us because questions of doubt always come in. How many good works are enough? What if my sins outnumber my good works? Ultimately, these questions are distractions from what should truly be our focus. As God tells us in Hebrews, we run the race with our eyes fixed on Christ. Christ will encourage us through the fruit we produce. When we're encouraged by our father and mother for doing well, when we see our friend grow in desire for God through shared Bible study, and when we simply see in ourselves a desire to grow in Christ. So we look to Christ. For if we are to do good works, if we are to do good works, he is the source of those good works in us. God renews us from the inside out so that we are good trees that produce good fruit. Ultimately, this is because we're connected to the tree of life, our Lord Jesus Christ. The second purpose of God turning us into a showcase or the workmanship of his love is for the sake of our neighbors. Here, too, we reflect Christ, even as Christ was a light and a salt to the world, so we are to be. Just a note here, you may wonder here how Christ was a salt to the world, the world. And the best way to understand that is that all sacrifices were to be seasoned with salt, which Christ sees as a picture of our good works. So the sacrifice is seasoned with good works. Christ, of course, is the great example of a sacrifice that is seasoned with the salt of good works and therefore is truly acceptable to God. In him, we too may be a salt and a light. In him, we are not only to be a salt and a light, that is what we already are. The Holy Spirit is working in us so that he may show the nations Christ. There's something in the study of rhetoric called ethos. And ethos refers to the character of the one who is speaking. If we know that somebody is a trustworthy person, we'll trust him. If we know that he spent 40 years in the medical field, we'll trust what he says about medicine. And it's the same with Christians. If people see that we walk the talk, they will trust that we speak well. It's an important point. Personal holiness is one of the most important parts of evangelism. The opportunities for demonstrating the love of Christ are, are becoming more and more real at this moment. We're a people who need not fear death in the midst of a world that is deeply afraid of COVID-19. 
We're a people who trust in God to provide in the midst of an economy that were that shows great fear. Now, I realize, of course, that we continue to fear. There's fear that remains in us. And here again, remember that Christ is with you in that weakness too. He knows it. Look to him to strengthen you so that you can demonstrate peace and love at this time. We see then grace upon grace. God not only chooses us, redeems us, but he turns us into his workmanship. Not only are we his workmanship, but the fruit of that workmanship is more and more people who are being built into the temple of God. A greater and more beautiful temple. According to Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.14, we're a people who spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That again is a sacrificial image. When people gave sacrifices to God in the Old Testament, we're often told that God found them a pleasing aroma. When we obey God, when we are a living sacrifice before him, we are also a pleasing aroma to those around us, particularly those who are being saved. On the other hand, those who reject the Lord find in us the stench of death. In that sense, both responses, positive and negative, should encourage us that we are being faithful to our Lord. Now, what if we don't produce fruit? What if we don't turn from sin and toward God? Can we then be saved? Absolutely not. Scripture is clear. The redemption of God, faith in God, must result in good works. A good tree will produce good fruit. If God has declared us right in Christ, he will also work in us so that we will seek him with fear and trembling, hating our sin and loving his righteousness. And that will produce good works. No unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, and the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. Here perhaps is one of the greatest errors we find in the church today. There's often an attitude of, we accept you as you are. Churches sell a cheap grace, which is ultimately no grace at all, for it leaves the sinner in his sin. The goal of being as in Christ is that I'm taken up to the right hand of God, where I can enjoy communion with God. But if I'm left in my sin and misery, then what good is the gospel? The sinner never addresses his sin, never repents. There is no reconciliation with God. This list, the unchaste person, the idolater, 
the adulterer, and so on, describes persons who are defined by these sins and show no repentance for their sins. They continue, and I'm going to use an important word here, they continue to be identified by their sins. For example, the unchaste person, he does not seek to put down his evil lusts. He continues to flirt and to sleep around without any shame, hardening himself in his sin. He does not show any desire to obey the command of God to restrain sexual activity to marriage between one man and one woman. Instead, he follows the lusts of the flesh. There is no room for that behavior in the kingdom of God. The lust of the flesh must be mortified, crucified on the cross of Christ. So yes, the church is open, calls all people, all sorts of people, but we receive them so that the Spirit may convict them of their sin and they may have a new identity in Christ. The Catechism quote here is from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. It's followed by these verses. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. If you are hardening yourself in your sin, if you are more and more identified by some sin, whether it be greed or homosexuality or pornography or anger, God calls you to repent. These are the sins that you were called out of. And these are the sins that right from the beginning have afflicted the children of God from generation to generation to generation. And so this passage is also a reminder that you are not alone. We can see that the Corinthians had their, in their midst those who used to regularly practice the worst sort of sins. The key words here are used to. Remember, and it all comes back to this, the power of the resurrection. You can't overcome your sin. But God can free you. God can make you alive. What a beautiful picture of what God is doing in us. It's easy to lose that perspective in the battle against sin. We return to our old sin like a dog to its vomit. It sometimes seems so hard to shake off those lusts of the flesh in our day-to-day fight. God encourages us here that he is the one working in us. He is the one shaping and transforming us into the image of his son. Next week, uh, Reverend Poppy will look more closely at what that looks like on our part. The putting off of sin and the putting on of righteousness. Just remember, in all that Christ has redeemed you. 
and He is renewing you, even when it seems like you are not making a lot of progress. And remember, too, in all of this, that your works do not earn anything. That takes a whole lot of pressure off our dedication to good works. Rather, they are done out of love and out of faith and out of thanksgiving. Thankful for what God has done. That means the best way, again, the best way to grow in our good works is to look to our Lord Jesus Christ and to hear his word. His Holy Spirit will mold us. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.